I just watched 2018's The Meg with my boyfriend. I really enjoyed the romantic scenes and engaging action sequences with a massive shark. He just laughed and called it lowbrow. It brought me pleasure, but I feel almost guilty. My friends laugh at me because I'm of the opinion that Cheaper by the Dozen was Steve Martin's finest hour. I just get pleasure from its light-hearted antics and warm family message. What's wrong with me? I too feel strangely guilty. I'm treated like a joke in the office because I think Nicolas Cage actually improved upon The Wicker Man. The first one was so boring. At least the remake had evil bees at the end. I feel shame. Are you tired of feeling guilty for your cinematic pleasures? Yes! yes. Well, it's more of a sense of shame than guilt, but yeah. It sounds like you need a trip to the soft spot cinema. I don't deserve it. Shake away that shame, my friend. At the soft spot cinema, you can watch the films you really love with a guaranteed 0% judgment. And no one will laugh at me. <laughs> no, at the soft spot cinema, our friendly staff are here to cater to your every whim. Every whim? Within reason. That's reasonable. Wow! I'm going to book today. <laughs> you should. Join us today at the Soft Spot Cinema. Where there's no such thing as a guilty pleasure. When it's one thing, then another. On top of everything else. It's good to have a place where you can go and be yourself. A place where guilty pleasure is a never-uttered phrase Where you can watch the films you like and not care what they will say Down at the soft spot cinema What shows is down to you, so take a seat, enjoy the view Say there's no entry fee to pay, just a donation would be nice at the soft spot cinema. Hello, friends, welcome to the Soft Spot Cinema Podcast. I'm your host and the manager of this establishment, Sean Henry. Each episode, I'll be inviting a new guest into the cinema to watch a film that might not have been massively appreciated by the critics, but is one that they have a real soft spot for. And here at the Soft Spot Cinema, we don't believe in guilty pleasures. You can watch whatever you like, and we won't judge. You know, I mean, I might judge you every now and again, but I'm the manager, so stick it. There's no guilt here, because... Look, I don't know about you, but my appetite for anything heavy, or anything that's going to make my brain even switch on... My stomach for that's just gone these days. I've found myself drawn towards the light, the nostalgic, and, and dare I say, the trashy, you know, so, sometimes. And I've got friends that feel the same. So what we want here is a nice bit of entertainment comfort food, a nice bit of fluff. That's the purpose I hope this podcast will fulfil. So, you know, put the kettle on, get yourself a biscuit, and, and wrap yourself in a nice blanket of nostalgia. My first guest on the podcast today actually works here at the cinema, but he moonlights as an actor, Mr. Louis Saxby. 
as you might have gathered by the podcast title, he came to the cinema to see an old favourite of his, 2005's Cheaper by the Dozen 2. Now, if you're not familiar with the Cheaper by the Dozen series, don't worry, our house band, because we have a house band, Christopher Axton and the Foxes have done this little musical plot rundown of the first film to, to just get you up to speed. Way back when, in the year 2003, funny man Steve Martin had a great big family. He was a college football coach, his wife just wrote a book, and they all moved to the big city, then his wife slung a hook. She went off on a book tour and followed her own dream. Steve said he'd manage with the kids, but it was harder than it seemed. And lots of hijinks happened, and the family fell apart. But they got together in the end, in a story full of heart. Cheaper by the dozen, they were cheaper by the dozen. To care for him was no easy task, in fact it was a tough one. Christopher Axton and the Foxes there. Hopefully that cleared things up a bit for you. Um, I must mention that was inspired by uh, Louis' favourite artist, Barry Manilow. Um, but any similarity to Copacabana, I, I think, is entirely coincidental. Uh, if you're listening, Barry, please have mercy. Uh, so, yeah, the first film... Follows Steve Martin and Bonnie Hunt and the interpersonal dramas that come up within their massive family of 12 kids. This film, the sequel, follows the original cast a couple of years down the line as they go for what might be one last big family vacation to some kind of lake or another. And while there, Steve encounters his old rival, Eugene Levy, who himself has a vast army of kids, and the two families go head-to-head to compete for the annual Labor Day Cup. And, naturally, hilarity ensues. The first film, it was a success at the box office, hence the sequel, but it wasn't too popular with professional critics achieving a mere 24% rating at Rotten Tomatoes. And this one, it has to be said, it fared worse with a 6% rating, which actually places it at number 98 in the top 100 worst reviews of the noughties. But you know what? We don't care about the critics here, so I'm going to hand over to myself with a section that we're calling Real Reviews to get some 100% genuine audience comments from the Rotten Tomatoes website. Over to you, me. There's no rhyme or reason to the ones we choose But here's some Real Reviews That's right, it's time for Real Reviews. Over to you, Bentley L. Very different from the first film. The story is more complex and the humour is more cruder. Uh, Steve Martin again delivers a funny performance and so does Eugene Levy. Thank you, Bentley. We've got Hayley L on the line. Best movie. 
movie ever. If you want to laugh, if you want to cry, if you want to relive your glory days, this is the movie to watch. If you do not like it, you have no taste in culture. Jerome F. This is way better than FN, at least from this artifact, Doesn't really make any sense. Over to you, Armando P. A slightly better than the original film. Oh, that's nice, Armando. Uh, over to you, Stuart L. Cheaper by the dozen only gets funnier and funnier. I can tell you had a good time with it. Uh, what do you think, Tom L? Uh, hi, Sean. We really love the show. Oh, cheers for that. Uh, what did you think of the film? I think it took everything. I feel the first film did rise and squandered it. The humour wasn't remotely clever or well executed. This is an unnecessary sequel and doesn't really need to exist. Thank you for your honesty. Uh, what do you think have we got on the line? We've got Jade M. The boy on the other family was Buff, the one who played Shark Boy and Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Yes, that's Taylor Lautner. I mean, he's very young in this. Uh, how old are you, Jade? Right, she's gone. Uh, okay, well, what's your opinion, Carly W? None of your business how old I am. All right, thanks for ringing, Jade. Uh, Carly W? This movie is so funny, Elliot is hot. Yep, that's uh, that's Taylor again. Jesus Christ. Uh, what do you think, Izzy? Having a big number of siblings is better than being alone. You're not wrong, is he? Uh, do look after yourself. Uh, what do you think, Ash S? The boy from the other family that the girl liked. He acted well, gay. Interesting point of view there, Sam. Uh, are you a homophobe? Yeah. Thought so. We're going to wrap this up. Just time for one more. Uh, what's your view, Sam S? As most sequels do, it seems to miss the main points that made the first one so good. But it still captures family fun that comes with summer vacation and new friends. Thank you to all our callers. Uh, a mixed set of opinions there on this, the first edition of... Real Reviews! Back to me in the studio. Thank you very much, Sean. So, we've heard from the real people of Rotten Tomatoes. That's what they think. But I think it's about time we learn what my mate Louis thinks and why he has such a soft spot for Cheaper by the Dozen 2 from 2005. So here's the conversation I had with Lou just after he'd come out of the luxurious soft spot screening room. In fact, it was a tough one. So, Lu- Louis, welcome to the Soft Spot Cinema. Hello, thank you for having me. Now, you, uh, you're a strange case for episode one because you actually work here at the cinema. I do. I'm, uh, I'm the, uh, the house usher. Yeah, how's that? How's, how's it been going? I mean, you've only been here a day, but yeah, and it's been quiet, hasn't it? I mean, still not legally open yet, but um. But you wait till this pandemic. When this pandemic's over, they're going to be piling through those doors. Oh, absolutely. I mean, think of all the um. All the films that are backlogged, it's going to be a shit turn. Have you had any previous experience with ushering? Yeah, actually, I was an usher once at my, um, was I an usher? What the, at someone's wedding, I was a little, I was the little boy who was like, oh, you've got to sit down here and sit down here when I was a little kid. I suppose that's, that's ushering to, to a sense. Um, I was a little page boy uh, for my mum and dad's wedding. That's what it's called, a page boy. Did you wear it? Because I always thought, I didn't know it was weird until, you know, you start mentioning it when you're an adult, but I wore um, a sailor suit. Yeah, I wore, um, I had this really fancy suit on, again, that my, that my mum said was kind of like tradition. It was on a really hot day, um, and I was absolutely dripping in sweat. Oh. Poor little usher boy. Yeah, little usher boy. But I, I, I can only presume I did a good job. I mean, you can't really do a bad job, can you? 
Not really. Just just put your little suit on and look cute. Yeah. Alright, so the film the film you viewed today in the very snazzy private screening room at the Sausable Cinema is Cheaper by the Dozen Two. Yes, two, in particular the second one. The second one. Now I want to know tell us a little bit about this film a little bit about your relationship with this film. Why why do you have such a soft spot for Cheaper by the Dozen Two? I was going back and I was I was thinking about why I did and it, I think it turns out that I remember when I was a kid I got bought this um remember when like portable DVD players were all the range. I I I should have one of them. Yep. So I got one of those bought for Christmas. Um so wherever I went that was like I took it absolutely everywhere. And one of the first DVDs I got bought was actually cheaper by the dozen one. Um I remember going to Morrison's with my dad and, and we just, it was one of them, you know, you, you're not planning on buying anything, but it was just on the shelf and I was like, oh, that looked kind of cool. I remember the, the cover was them, Steve Martin trying to keep all his kids trapped behind a door and we bought that and then I think we, we watched that as a family um, and I just fell in love with it and then I remember then the sequel came out and I just lived with it like on all the time on this little portable DVD player, no matter where we went. I always took that and had it on and when I think about it it was on loop like from must have been for like the three or four years in my life that was just on loop I remember we had it, we had it at my auntie's on VHS and it's like when when we were kids you just had like you just had like what t- 10 VHS tapes and, and they'd just be in constant circulation I think yeah that, that's thing in it now you've got like obviously Spotify Netflix and all that but back then like you say you kind of had one thing or a handful of things and you'd just watch the same thing and you'd never get bored no that, that, that thing I remember Toy Story was another one for me as well when I was a kid I, I used to just yeah. have that on all the time all the time and I found that would say like Cheap by the Dozen when I was watching it again you know and you're like fucking hell I'm, I'm like finishing off people's lines and sentences even though I've not seen it for about for like three or four years it's like it just reels off the tongue you know every beat yeah so when did you first see the sequel then now I'm trying to think. I'm trying. Did I go to the cinema to see the sequel, or because what year did it come out? Two thousand and five. Two thousand and five. So I'd have been. God, how old would I have been? Quick maths. I'd have been about. Uh, from nine. I'd have been about nine. So uh, did I go to the cinema? I don't know. Because we used to have a tradition where we'd go to on Boxing Day. We'd always go to the cinema, and if it was around then, we probably would have gone to see that. This seems. This seems like the sort of film that probably was released at Christmas. Yeah, it does. It does, doesn't it? So I'm gonna I'm gonna say it was then. I might be wrong, but I'm I'm gonna guess it was around Christmas. Well, that must have been quite the experience then to to be such a fan of Cheaper by the Dozen. Bang! Here's the sequel. Here's the sequel, and it's one of the few films which I think the sequel is significantly better than the first. Although the reviews don't seem to match that at all. I, I didn't know whether to bring them up or not, Louis, because I didn't want to upset you. But I'm looking here at the Rotten Tomatoes page. Um, based on 94 professional reviews, Cheaper by the Dozen 2 has six a 6% rating. But it's noteworthy that it has a 57% audience score. Mm, you see, I, I'm looking here at the Google audience score, which is yeah. which is high. And, and th- this is one thing I always find, particularly films like this. Like... Uh, when reviewers go, like I don't understand what they're kind of reviewing it against. Are they are they like reviewing it against, say, like a, a Godfather or a Goodfellas? Are they, are they putting these films in the same category, or are you reviewing it as like um, kind of for what it is? Do you know what I mean? It's family friendly. It's I suppose I suppose it's a kids film. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, because I read some of the reviews and they're just they're very harsh. They're very harsh. I'll I'll 
I'll I'll read a few out here from the from from the top critics of Rotten Tomatoes, and maybe you can give me give me your response. Um, so Andrea Gronville from the Chicago Reader, she's the first review up here. She says there's a discernible lack of enthusiasm from almost everyone involved, and Hilary Duff, who's gone from wholesome to haggard in two short years, is flat out scary. You see, I, I've seen a lot of criticism on the Hilary Duff thing, and I, I when I rewatched it last night, I, I don't, I don't see it. I don't, I don't, I don't get what she does does wrong. She's she's playing that kind of angsty teen who's ready to leave home, and I, I think it's portrayed quite well. You're right. There's a lot of Hilary Duff criticism, but but she's she's perfectly she, she's fine, isn't she? You know. Yeah. I, there's nothing in there where I go, oh. God, Hilary Duff was awful. I think, like, say for, for for the role that that she's she's been given to portray, I think she does a a good job. It is what it is. De- uh, Desson Thompson from the Washington Post, uh, he says this is definitely a family trip to stay home and skip. Really, Peter Travis says there's something precious about a toxic mis- mix of sitcom and snickering sex jokes getting packaged and effectively sold as wholesome fun for the family. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I did? Rewatching it as a as an adult, um, you can definitely that there are a lot of adult sex jokes and kind of um, yeah th- things that I didn't pick up on as a kid. Um, which after a rewatch, you go, oh yeah, and and there is quite a lot. Well, the 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 parents played by Steve Martin and Bonnie Hunter are quite. I mean, obviously they're very randy, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, otherwise they wouldn't have... Because do they have 12 or 14 kids? I couldn't figure it out. They have 12, and the opposition family, the Murtars, they have they have eight. They have eight, right. So the ba- it's the Bakers and the Murtars, isn't it, in this one? Yeah. Because they've got... I mean, stating the obvious, but they have got an army of children. It's, it's an obscene amount of children, isn't it? What confused me, and again, it's not a criticism, there's no judgment here, but I think it's quite extraordinary... That these none of these kids look alike, and there's like pocket pockets of them that are all they all seem to be exactly the same age. So it's like the the rate at which Steve and Bonnie must have been cranking these kids out. It, it's extraordinary, isn't it? Well, it must have been because I'm trying to think how old the because the oldest one I think is I think the oldest one has graduated from college, so that's their university. So the the the, the youngest he can possibly be is going to be. Um, at least 22, 23, I'd assume. Yeah. And then the youngest two are... It's probably the, the two little lads, the two twins. The two little twins, yeah. And like I say, they must be about six or seven. So th- there's probably been like a phew, consistent patch of... Well, like I say, 10 years where she's been constantly pregnant. Yeah, and, and I must say, she looks phenomenal. Yes. You know? <laughs> she, she looks... For a woman who's, who's birthed that many, that many kids in such quick succession... Uh, she she's really kept herself together, so I do. Uh, was this was this film? Will this been your first introduction then? Uh, of young Louis Saxby's first introduction to Steve Martin. I think. I think it would have been because what's the other one? He's the big famous one. Did he do? Who did Train Planes and Automobiles? Yeah, that's Steve Martin. Oh, it is yeah. him. Yeah, I think. Because my mum always told me to watch that, but I think she told me to watch that off the back of um, Cheaper by the Dozen for my yeah. newfound admiration of Steve Martin. Because I would think, you know, Steve Martin, 
famous. He, he gets a lot of stick, doesn't he, for doing like in, in his later career, he started doing films like this. But I can only imagine that this film introduced a, a generation of kids to Steve Martin. I, I can only imagine. I think so because as well, like, I didn't realise how it, it's kind of um, it, it's got it's gone down cheaper by the dozen. It's quite a well-renowned film. Is um, it? Because I was reading, because um, I was like, obviously, because I knew we were doing this, I was like, oh, I'll, I'll just Google Cheaper by the Dozen and see what bits and bobs I can pick up. And they're actually, um, Disney Plus are rebooting it. Yes, I saw that. With Zach Braff. Yeah, Zach Braff. And yes. uh, there was someone else, but I can't find them. Um, and I was reading, and they were saying it's because it's one of the, I can't think of the word they use, but say like one of the top films from this time because they're rebooting a couple of others that were very successful so although i think it got absolutely slated at the box office i think it actually pulled in quite quite a big audience else they wouldn't be be doing another one exactly yeah people do have a soft spot for this film and the thing on the subject of steve martin and bonnie hunt yeah i don't think they're bad in this at all i was just about to say i don't because i saw more reviews where um Steve Martin in particular gets slated. Yeah. But I was thinking, who else? Who else could you could you place in that role? Because I was thinking, imagine you put, I don't know, De Niro and Al Pacino as the two rival fathers. It's it's <laughs> as as gay fathers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a very different, very different film. It is actually. And I I, I don't know what else you want from Steve Martin. Because really. I think I think he's very likable. I think, and he's not uh, uh, watching it as an adult. It, it's it, he and it. It's not laugh out loud funny, but I think he's uh, uh, like this. Going back to this review, what was it? Saying that everyone, everyone's, uh, what is it? Somebody just said that everyone seems like bored to be in it or whatever. Mm. I didn't get that at all. I feel like Bonnie and Steve are having a great time. I think it's the total opposite. Yeah, but because one thing as well that 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 kind of gets me in the film is how much at times the, the how the kids react to Steve is a bit odd because um <laughs> I feel like he's made to be public enemy number one when he's not he's not really doing that bad yeah obviously yeah. the premise is he's he's gone to they've gone to this lake this lake house as a family for kind of like one last um one last kind of holiday before certain members of the family kind of part and go their separate ways yeah. But when they get there, there's a rival family called... I can't remember his first name. What, Eugene the, Levy? Eugene Levy. What's his character called? Let's just call him Eugene. Let's call him Eugene. So so they rock up and Eugene's family is now at this lake. And it turns out that every time they've been to this lake in, in the past, there's this annual Labor Day Cup, which every family on the lake competes for. Um, but I don't think um, Steve Martin's family has never won it. So the film kind of revolves around this desire and push which um, Steve has towards his family to win this cup. Well, these are the two. The, the these are the two main. These are the two main angles the film's going down. So the film, the film. I would say the theme of the film. It's about. It's it's about growing up, and it's about the, the both the excitement and the pain of that. The excitement for the kids that are growing up and wanting to move on coming of age but then the pain of the parents watching their their beloved little children spreading their wings and, and gaining their their independence mm. 
And so we follow Steve and Bonnie. Uh, uh, Steve and Bonnie have very different approaches to, to coping with this. Steve's, Steve's desperately clinging on, and, and, and Bonnie's just trying to, you know, uh, tr- trying to chill out and let the kids be who they're going to be. Um, but yeah, Eugene Levy, we end up at this lake house because Steve wants a big, he wants a big final vacation with, with, with the whole family. One last shindig. And there we meet Eugene Levy, who's um, the uh, patriarch of the Murtog family. Uh, and it turns out that Steve and Eugene have been, have been lo- they've been long, long-held rivals, haven't they, Steve and Eugene? Because Eugene's family, they always win this Labor Day Cup. And I, I love how they introduce Eugene in this film. Yeah. <laughs> it, it genuinely made me laugh. The way at, the, at the clam bake. At the clam bake. So they get they, they turn up to this, this, this old lake house that they're at, and so this guy just comes out of nowhere and invites them to his fancy mansion for a clam bake. And that's where we, we first see Eugene entering. And he, he walks in the room as if he's kind of like, he, he's like the he's like the suavest man you've ever seen, isn't he? Yeah. Well, he he's now married um, to Carmen Electra. Yeah, because he he now owns pretty much everything on the lake, doesn't he? Because he's somehow come into money and has has bought everything, bar this one house where Steve and his family are staying. We're never quite sure how he's got so rich, but but we're led to believe that he is very rich and indeed. he is flying through his wives as. Because I think it gets stated that this is his fourth fourth wife. Yes, and he introduces Carmen Electra as his new bride. Yeah, <laughs> this, is, this is my new bride. So none of so just just so none of those none of the kids are actually her kids in the film, then are they? No, no. But the the the, the rival family is interesting as well because I think it's even more of a disparate bunch than than Steve's family. I mean, I could never figure out how many there are. Because they just seem to keep... like the, At one point, there's like this 30-year-old man who we're led to believe is one of the sons as well. He's just hanging yeah, there. I thought that... Because there was... Yeah, there's a point near the end where it's almost like he was a walk-on because I'd not seen him throughout the whole film. And then, yeah, he, he he's old, isn't he? He looks like, say, mid-30s. I feel their family's a bit more mis, mismatched than, than the main. It is, really. So... We get to we we get to this lake house, and what we're what we soon learn is you see this is why I think it's, it's quite a nice film because the message I suppose is you've got Eugene Levy and his young attractive wife and his many kids, and they live in a this huge fancy house with all the all the mod cons, and and Steve's family it's a bit more ramshackle, you know they're not the richest family, or we're led to believe, um, but the message I suppose is that. The the the, the uh, what we call them the Bakers Steve's family they are the they're happier aren't they yeah they're a very they they might be they, they might be mischievous and they might get up to lots of hijinks and they're very dysfunctional but they do but love the, each the, other that's the thing is it that there's they're loved that they might not have all the money in the world which the the Murtars do because that they've got all the the jet skis the as the the wireless internet the plasma screen TVs the outdoor trampolines on the water. And the other family have a, what was it, a tyre swing and not much else. I think that's one thing that made me fall in love with the film is, or, or in Cheaper Weather Dozen in general, was kind of how mischievous and kind of 
like not an I suppose it's not like anarchy, but th- th- there's so much energy within in the the Baker family. And I think that maybe maybe it's because I've never had a sibling or kind of I've been a a single child growing up, but I've always. I think when I'm older, it's all it, from watching these movies. It's definitely made me go, "Oh, I kind of want that manic energy all the time within a family." I'd absolutely love like five or six kids, and for every day to just be absolutely. So, balmy. do you look at the you look at the Bakers, and to you, that's the ideal family unit, is it? I think so. Yeah, because you see, to me, I, I, that's where I differ. Because to <laughs> me, I think it, it it would be an existential nightmare every single day. Mm. I mean, obviously, the film is only showing the good side of um, having twelve kids. I'm sure, yeah. I'm, I'm sure it, it's tough. But I don't know. There's something about. Uh, I I know I'd be like Steve Martin. I think there'd definitely be me, hanging on too long and and wanting kind of wanting the the ride to never end. Yeah, there's something about just kind of having fun, that mad energy all the time. But then, but then, like I say, you, you never see the oh, we've got to take all of them to school, pick them up from school, help them with the homework. All that jazz, kind of send them off to uni. All the fun. I mean, financially, it mu- I don't. It must be an absolute nightmare. I mean, it must because, I mean, for one, you've you've got to pay to, to feed and clothe, and educate twelve kids. But then also, these kids they cause chaos everywhere they go. I mean, ten minutes into the film, you know, they 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 they're setting off, but somehow, two of the the little Baker kids. They, they get their hands on a backpack full of fireworks. Um, um, where, 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 I don't know how, like, say, where they source that from. I have no idea. But they, they, I mean, they could, they could have killed someone at that clan bait, couldn't they, really? Because that's where they, because um, they, they put fireworks in a bag and it somehow ends up on, um, on like a speedboat, doesn't it? And it tears the engine off and the engine goes flying through the sky, um, luckily missing everyone at this party. And it's a very densely populated party, so it's very fortunate. And it, it happened. It, sadly, it lands on the buffet, doesn't it? But obviously, at least at least no one was harmed in the uh, in the actions of the bakers. Yeah, but the, there's a lot of chaos. There's the the, the fireworks incident. There's, there's a bit where uh, I think it's the same two kids. They 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 smash a golf cart through a, a tennis court. And then Sarah's caught stealing. Um, yeah. But how would you go? Would you be? If you were in Steve Martin's shoes, would you mm. do you think you would discipline discipline them differently? Or I mean, not to wriggle out of the question, but I don't think I'd ever be in Steve Martin's shoes. I don't think I'd. I, I just can't. I, I just can't. I don't know what I'd do. I think. I, I think I'd be more Eugene than Steve. I think. Would you? Just because I think Steve's got all the um, Eugene's got all these kids, but. You get the sense that uh, later on in the film it comes out that Eugene's actually been jealous of of Steve, uh, of, of Tom, for, for many years. And I, I get the sense that the only reason he's really had these kids is because he's got loads of kids. Yeah, because it, it, he says at the, the start of the film, doesn't he, that he's he was always envious of Steve's charms and good looks, wasn't he? And that, that all the women always yeah. wanted... Always wanted um... Always wanted Steve, but 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 then he said, "Now look how the tables have turned. Now he's a millionaire." Yeah, with, with Carmen Electra for a while. With Carmen Electra as his wife, but but I think it always irks him, doesn't it, that he only ever had eight kids. Yeah, yeah. But then, as he says, he goes, "Well, your your eight, your twelve kids never beat mine to the Labor Day Cup." 
which is obviously yeah. what, which is what sparks the um, the motivation for the rest of the film. And Eugene, Eugene uses his kids as kind of like vessels to satisfy his is uh, they're pawns of his empire, really, aren't they? They that that's a perfect way of putting it. Eugene's kids, they're pawns of his empire. Because we, we I, I, I really like the scene where he invites all of the bakers round to his house just to show off how good his house is. And we go in, we go in the living room, and there's a, a wall full of trophies that the kids have won, and a, and a, and a massive flat screen television screen, <laughs> which is just a, a, on a loop, which shows the various kids winning various competitions. But obviously, the kind of the, the crux to to his relationship with his family is that all his kids kind of don't want this lifestyle at all and they kind of want to be like the bakers where it's they're kind of free to not free to do what they want is in like all the time but kind of it's more the futures and career paths that they want to go down eugene is very much you've got to you've got to go to university get an education in said subject and then you go on and you make money yes. or, or become um i think in the the girl's case, he wants her to become... Is, is, she, is she a swimmer or some sort of sports star? Well, I don't know if... She, I think she wants to become an artist, doesn't she? That's it. But she's a good swimmer, so he's pushing she's her. Be, she's almost been forced into the swimming competitions by her dad to get more trophies for the cabinet. And and she does... Swimming is seems to be her... her number one mode of, of, of travelling, really. She swims everywhere. This remarkably, girl. Oh, that, that, that's that's a one plot hole of the film that she seems to get to places quicker swimming than everyone else does via like any sort of transport. There's a scene, isn't there, at the end where everyone's on a boat and they pull up on shore, and she like she's way back and jumps in the water and basically meets them at the same time. Is that an error, or is she just an extraordinary swimmer? M- maybe that's why Eugene is pushing her so hard to become this. Olympic level swimmer, but another plot hole regarding her as well is she is the the tattoo. She, so the whole film kind of is she's she's rebelling against her father and she's gone and got this tattoo, um, which is on. I mean, it's on her lower back, isn't it? Which is very visible. Yes, it's probably it's it's it, it would be referred to as a tramp stamp in certain circles. <laughs> and in the film, like the, the whole premise is she's trying to hide it from her father because if her father sees it, it's all hell will break loose but 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 what i found like i say i suppose it is a plot hole is it is very visible and because of where they are it's very hot and it's around a lake she's in a bikini all the time um yet her father's never seen this tattoo but the the oldest the oldest baker charlie the unfeasibly good looking one he was um in what well, he was in that superman spin-off what was it called uh, he was he was superman weren't he smallville Smallville. But he clocks it straight away. He, he First time he sees her, she's swimming, obviously. And he cuts straight away. Zoom, zoom in, he clocks it. Yeah, then they have that really kind of... Um, that almost, The first kind of time where they show that they like each other, where he, he kind of... She, like, spills some water and he bends down and goes, oh, blah, 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 I see your tattoo there, but Daddy doesn't like that, or something along those lines. Is that the scene when she's she's got out of the lake and she's getting dried, and he's just kind of... Just watching her from the bush. Yeah, <laughs> he does that quite a few times, doesn't he? And it kind of it goes on for a bit too long for me. <laughs> yeah, there's quite there's quite a lot of um because what I wrote down about the film is it's kind of it's a coming of age story, um, which is tied in with a bitter bitter rivalry, but also 
um, running alongside those two. Um, there's there's a handful of quite cute um, love stories because because obviously you have Charlie and Tattooed Lady. <clears throat> Sorry, voice break. Um, and you also have Sarah and a young fuck. What's his name? Taylor Taylor Lautner. A young Taylor Lautner. And he looks like a little angel, doesn't he? He'll be about what? What is he? Look, he's about. He'll probably be about twelve years old. But he, he kind of, he looks like he's been dropped in from another universe. Because <laughs> he's just like glowing, isn't he? And he's he's got the he's, he's just got the most beautiful cherubic face. And uh, the young the young the young baker uh, is it Sarah? Sarah, yeah. She instantly she's head over heels for little Taylor, isn't she? She knows she knows what's to come. She knows the career path he's heading down. She does. She clocks it instantly. So I, I think I was going to bring this up. I, I'd say, and again, it's not a criticism, but I think the film it, it's got it's got all these themes that it's playing around with, and it can be quite clumsy. But I will say, I think the little the little Sarah Baker growing up subplot is very sweet. Yes, and I think the the little actress. I don't know. I, I ain't got a name here. But I think she's she's lovely. She's very she's very likable and very believable. This is one thing I think as well about them. I think in general the kids are. I think they all do a a good job. There's some good little actors in there, isn't there? Mm. And because I was reading up about um, what they kind of because there was I found an article online about kind of where are they now and what are they doing, um, and. Sadly, I think there's only a handful, maybe one or two of them, which continued acting. Um, a lot of them just kind of have not done anything for years or have just kind of gone, oh, it's not for me, and decided to, to pull out. But I guess that's kind of, I suppose it is kind of a bit of a theme with child actors, isn't it? They kind of get thrust upon the scene, like, whoosh, and here you are, fame, 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 and then kind of where do you go from there? It's quite good, because often, often with films that are full of kids, you can get bits that... It's quite difficult to watch sometimes. It's a bit cringe. You get you get a lot of child actors that are very, I don't know, just very flat, aren't they? And just because they, you know, they're kids. But I think I, I can't really pinpoint any of the kids in this film that are bad. I think they're all very likable. And like you say, I think what probably helped them is the fact that if you think you've that there was twenty kids on set, I bet they were just having the time of their lives. I bet they were. I bet it was chaos. Yeah, just and I think that, like you say, probably helped the fact that there's no. I bet I bet there wasn't a lot of pressure in in a good way. I bet they just, like you say, went on had the time of their life. Cause I'm sure I've seen like behind the scenes footage, um, like the director's cut, where they're just kind of all mucking about on the speedboats and the trampolines. And it's one of them films where you go, God, I wish I was involved. I wish I was involved. And now, sadly, I, I've missed I've missed the cut now. But then, no, maybe not. Maybe in the reboot, I could play the new. The Charlie Baker. You could, you, you'd be, you'd be a perfect Charlie Baker, you know. Yeah, yeah, you could be Charlie, or maybe in the reboot of the reboot. So this, this Sarah Baker subplot. Let's let's talk about that a bit because I like that bit. So the whole thing is the Sarah Baker. What will she be? She's about what is she? 11, 12? Eleven, twelve. Yeah, I'd, I'd say probably about that age. So she's she's uh, in the first film. She sort of has a lot to do in the first film as well, and she she uh, her main thing in the first film is she kind of has this rivalry with with Hilary Duff. Now Hilary Duff's kind of like the kind of classic 
film stereotype of a of a of a teenage girl. She likes she she likes makeup and boys, and she reads fashion magazines and like your typical high school high school kind of drama, is it nine hundred two one zero kind of thing? But Sarah is you know she 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 wears baggy t shirts and and little hats, and she she she's what would have been referred to in the past as a tomboy. Yeah, and that's the thing. But now Sarah, she's met little Taylor Lautner now. And uh, it's her first crush. So now, Hillary and Sarah, they come together. And Hillary helps. He sort of gives her a... There's, there's a lovely scene where... Because this is where the shoplifting you mentioned earlier comes in. Sarah, Sarah goes to a shop and she starts stealing some makeup. So that she can put some on to impress little Taylor. But she's no idea what to do with it. So she asks Hillary. And the, I, I really like the scene where she's had this little makeover and she comes out onto the steps and all the family look at her in awe. It is built up, isn't it? Because I remember Hilary Duff, I think she comes out and says, right, she she almost comes out about 10 seconds before and kind of goes, right, everyone, just to warn you, she's going to look not, she's going to look very different. I don't want anyone to judge or any comments. And what like what I like about the film and I like about the family dynamics is... There kind of is no judgment of each other in this. But I think there's a there's there's quite a bit more of that in the first one because you have the little lad, the little lad with the toad, and he's kind of like the out the the outcast of the family. Basically, the first film is all around him, kind of in almost the family kind of like say not bully him, but he's kind of the the butt of the joke all the time, isn't he? And it's as if they kind of they call him FedEx, don't they? Yeah, because the the they reckon he's been delivered. Yeah. Yeah. But in this one, the family's a very... They're a very happy, strong family unit in this one. Yeah. It's more about... The, the second one's definitely more about the, the friction between the relationship with the kids and the parents than... Whereas I think the first one was based... There was friction within the the kids. Again, good move for a sequel. Yeah. And it always begs the question, could, could they have gone on and done a third, do you think? What do you think the third one would be? If you were to, you know... If you, if you were to be contacted by, I don't know, whoever's made this film, let's say Universal Pictures, you get an email. They've, they've, they've spotted you somehow. They've listened to this podcast and they go, we'd like you to write, direct, Cheaper by the Dozen 3, based within the Steve Martin Cheaper by the Dozen universe. Where would you go with it? Do you know what? It would be difficult because almost the premise of this one could have been the third and they could have done something else in between, if that makes sense. Because... Because to get them all back, because you've got to have a reason to get them all back, and I feel in the second one that kind of was the perfect reason. It's the fact that they're all because I, d- I don't think you could do it again, could you? You couldn't say, "Oh, let's we're all going to have another reunion at the lake," because it's kind of you just you, you'd just be recycling. Or you could have it with the next generation of kids, like they've all got kids of their own now. Because I pres- some of the older ones, I presume, they they they, they may well have kids of well, their own. Well, at now. the end of the film, Nora, who is the she she is she's the eldest. Oh, tell her, like, yeah, she's the eldest, not Charlie. She's she's heavily pregnant throughout the film. She is. It's what, well, and that's a criticism. It's one of the least convincing pregnant bumps I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. At one at one point, you can see it, it. It kind of removes itself from her body and starts flapping up. It was kind of. It's the equivalent of like um, at drama school when sometimes you'd have to wear one, or you'd see it, and and they're very ill fitting and kind of it's it's hanging over and it, it yeah it, it's not very convincing. But that, it's by the by. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose she could. Ah, oh, no, because that kid would be too young. Yeah, you know what? Maybe, maybe it's one of those films where they went. You know what? 
maybe we can't do another one. Because I, I think it, it does, if you look at them as a pair, it does complete the arc, really, doesn't it? Yeah. You've got the friction within this big family, that's resolved in the first film, and then the second film, it's all about moving on, it's about growing up. And by the end of the film, both Steve and Eugene have accepted that they need to maybe take their foot off the pedal a bit and let the kids, you know... Let them let them grow up, spread their wings. Yeah, it's, I say I think it is. It's 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 one of those films. It says a lot within an hour and because I think it's only an hour and a half long. And I think it it there's definitely messages within the film which are kind of that family friendly. Um, I think put it this way, there's a message for any age to take away from that film. I'd say you could show this to. You could show this to kids now, and I think they'd get a kick out of it. Mm, which is why I think I was always surprised at when it got slated the way it did because I, I don't see, I don't, I don't see. A, not saying it's the perfect film, but I don't see any standout faults. I go, oh god, this makes this unwatchable, or vice kind of. Do you know what I mean? So if you were to, if you were to pick your your favourite scene from Cheaper by the Dozen two, what would that be? Uh, I think and. and I'm go- I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and say I think it's quite iconic um, because I, I feel it's one of those scenes that even when even if you haven't seen the film you've definitely I think most people have heard of this scene it's when it's when Steve and Eugene go to the cinema um, to spy on their daughters and yeah. Steve shows the move so that they're spying on um, young Sarah and young. Um, What's his name? Sorry, young, young Taylor Lautner. Young Taylor Lautner. Yeah, so young Sarah and young Taylor, uh, Steve's reluctantly agreed to let her go to the go to the cinema with him to see Ice Age. Mm. But Steve, it, 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 again, it's the it's the middle of the film. He's really struggling to grant his daughter her independence, so he decides to go spy on her, doesn't he, in the cinema, and make sure everything. I mean, I don't know what he's, I don't know what he's scared is going to happen, but. He's very concerned, isn't he? Yeah, I think he's he's because obviously his two his two eldest daughters have are, are moving away, and I think he within this he kind of goes, oh, and I'm, I'm losing, and not losing in the sense of she's moving away, but it's kind of it it's that thing of where a kid kind of goes, oh, it's not cool to be around my parents anymore. I want to kind of break away from that, and I feel Steve, he can see that coming, so he's kind of doing everything in his powers to prevent that. Yeah. So he decides to to go to the cinema early and book himself a ticket so he can just like sit at the back and just just quietly, you know, just observe, make sure nothing goes down. But then lo and behold, Eugene Levy's there. He's had the same idea. But I think a good a good bit of character writing, Eugene's there to make sure the film's appropriate for the kids. <laughs> <laughs> He's there to vet the film. Mm. But this, I've got a bone to pick with the cinema scene. So, so we've got we've got the um, uh, we, we, they're, they're both in the cinema. Eugene and Steve, they're watching the kids, and then Taylor Lautner he attempts the move, the the classic cinema move. You stretch your arms. It's kind of a yawn. Is yawn? A yawn and a stretch. Yawn, stretch, and then the arm goes on the shoulder, and it's like, oh hello, what's this? Um, Eugene's never heard of the move. So Steve has to explain the move, and he and he demonstrates the move on Eugene. Now, here's me born to pick, Louis. I, I know exactly what you're going to say. I know exactly what you're going to say. If I've got one criticism, or one part of the film that I think has aged very poorly, is uh, Eugene and, and Steve, they're, they're kind of bickering in the cinema, and people are getting annoyed, telling them to be quiet. But then when Steve demonstrates the move, 
and he's got his arm around Eugene Levy. It's it, everybody, everyone in the cinema that can see them and is getting irritated by them reveals themselves as a, 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 a homophobe. It's well, particularly that there's one family in there, isn't there, which are just absolutely disgusted by it, and it, and the camera pans to them about two or three times throughout. There's one, there's one older lady there, and I think I'm, I'm pretty sure she, she's got a, a, she's she's absolutely appalled, and I'm I, I'm sure she goes, oh my Jesus, she does, she does, yeah, doesn't she? She she's absolutely disgusted. One thing when I watched it, like say last night, I, d- I did clock that, and I was like, hmm, like say it's not it's not aged particularly well. I don't really know why it was, why that's even in there. Because because the whole premise is it because the, the the guy with the torch comes down and he's just telling them to be quiet basically because this they're, they're very loud and then it's almost as if yeah. like you say they've added that on top and it it's not needed at all is it? It's the only part of the film Lou that left an unpleasant taste in my mouth. Yeah, no, it, certainly. So if you were to sell this film to to a listener that perhaps hasn't seen it, why why should they why should they seek it out? Why should they go on to uh, Disney Plus, it's there. It's on Disney Plus if you've if you've got that. Why? Why should we go and, and get that up? I think because in these lockdown times, um, I think it shows light at the end of the tunnel. In the, I think it shows the the absolute adulation and joy of life, and that when people are together, we have a great time. And I feel that. Once lockdown's ended, that's exactly what's going to happen. Everyone will reunite, and the great times will come. Have a clam bake. Have a clam bake. In fact, it was a tough one. Thank you to Louis for joining me in the first episode of Soft Spot Cinema. If you enjoyed yourself, there's more to come. Uh, Next time, I'll be inviting an old friend of mine, Chris Fletcher, from the 37 Disney Street podcast to talk about Kevin Smith's 2004 film, Jersey Girl. So do keep an ear out for that. Uh, If you can spare a minute, give us a like or whatever it is. Um, And you can follow Competent Productions on Twitter at CompProds and me at Sean Henry. Sean spelt S-H-O-R-N. But that's it for now. Thanks for listening. And please do go easy on yourselves. Take care. Down at the soft spot Cinema What shows is down to So take a seat, enjoy the view down at the soft spot cinema. We're here to brighten up your day. We don't care what the critics say. There's no entry fee to pay. Just a donation would be nice at the soft spot cinema. Soft Spot Cinema was a competent production created and hosted by Sean Henry. It featured contributions from Hannah Rose Lewis, Callum Sheridan Lee and Louis Saxby. Music and jingles by Christopher Axton.